welcome to another episode of Making It to the Mic. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and today I'll be talking to Lindsay Shepard. Lindsay is a voiceover veteran and has voiced everything from commercials to e-learning to animated characters. Funny story, Lindsay and I were actually in an animated show together called Pumpkin Reports, but because all the actors recorded individually, we never met in person. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Lindsay is also married to a voiceover agent and helps run that business as well, so we also touch on agent submissions and best practices. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Lindsay Shepard. Hi, Lindsay, and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So I always like to start by asking everyone kind of the same question. How did you make it to the mic? What did you do before voiceover, and how did you get started? Okay, let's see. So, um, back at the dawn of time, I went to college for animation, um, and I was the only girl in my class, so I ended up doing the voices for all of our student projects, and I realized that I didn't really want to be an animator. I wanted to be the cartoon characters, so, uh, I never ended up using my degree, I just kind of went into voiceover after uh, I went and got like a regular job to kind of figure out and finance <laughs> how to do voiceover. Back uh, back when I started, there was not as much information out there, and it was a lot more expensive to set up a home studio. I spent about five years trying to figure that out, and then I'm like, enough. I'm just getting into this. So I spent like a solid month. I quit my job. (laughs) Don't do this. Don't do this. I quit my job and (laughs) said, how does Timmy Turner make the Timmy Turner voice? And I spent like a month trying to figure out how to do voiceover. And luckily, the community was so welcoming and answered all of my silly questions. And I kind of figured out what I was doing. My first um, audition that I did was for this, uh, this dub called The Adventures of Shen Mao and Jimmy. And I auditioned for the lead role and I booked it. I'm like, cool, I've made it in voiceover on my first job. Not really. (laughs) That's that's not how it works. I I got lucky with that. But then I had a whole industry to learn. Um, So, I mean, I've been doing this now for 15, 20 years and still learning things every day. I love it. Did you have any acting training before this? Like, were you even in like a high school musical or anything? Or you kind of just came into it from the animator side? I, um, well, I mean, I watched cartoons and everything like religiously as a child. So um, I definitely paid attention to people's performances. Um, I can't memorize squat, so (laughs) I never did any plays or theater or anything. But I did take acting in high school, and we did some acting stuff in in college for animation. We uh, did uh, films and whatnot. Um, So that was kind of a basic experience with acting. But then once I started learning about voiceover, I went and took a bunch of workshops and just wanted to work with everybody that I possibly could. So I've just took those little experiences and 
it was all just working and learning things along the way. Learning that I had a really strong New York accent when I first started, when a client finally told me, like, hey, can you, like, not talk so New York? Like, oh, I didn't know I had an accent. So I uh, unlearned my accent. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of experimenting. It still comes out, not in sessions, but like if I'm really tired or angry at my husband or something, then I turn total New York. That's funny. So how do you think the your animator brain kind of helps you in voiceover? I feel like as someone who does cartoons, it must be so helpful for you to know the other side of the process. Yeah. Um. I loved doing character design and figuring out uh, on paper what makes these characters these characters. So um, you kind of go through a lot of the same steps when you're putting them down on paper. Like, why does the character look like this? What are their quirks? So uh, kind of analyzing each of the characters translated into voiceover work, too, because you do the same things. So what was your first home studio like? Yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> it was, I went to like Best Buy and um, bought like a $50 microphone that I saw on some message board somewhere. I got that and I literally set up like some pillows on my bed and some blankets and everything. That was my first uh, home studio. And then... Um, When I met my husband uh, a few months into uh, my journey, he kind of helped me make a better studio. We built this, uh, like an isolation sort of thing, like three-sided whatnot. I don't even know what you would call it. It was three pieces of wood, and they were on hinges, and they had Oralex foam inside of them. That's so funny. That's, That's actually really similar to my first home studio as well. So in our old apartment, we didn't have an extra closet, so my husband actually built a booth in the corner of our office. Uh, It was basically the two walls that formed the corner of the room, and then he built the two other walls, so it kind of made a box. And he used wood panels to do that and then put another wood panel above my head to kind of make a top. And then we lined the whole thing with RLX foam. And the back panel was actually a door so I could get in, and then we draped a blanket over that so it actually went all the way to the floor. So the whole thing kind of ended up being the size of a, you know, a really small closet. So I could have my mic and my music stand in there. And um, yeah, I'll see if I can find a picture actually for the show notes. So when did you upgrade from that? You said when you when you met your husband and then, you know, did it kind of coincide with booking some bigger jobs that you felt like you really needed that extra oomph behind you? Yes. So um, we're kind of gearheads and we just keep on buying stuff. So... (laughs) Our studios are never finished. Um, he he had been in the industry for a while uh, when I met him. So he had some gear um, and I bought a new microphone. I think I got, I think it was an NT1A was my next upgrade. So it was still, um, it was a good microphone, a couple hundred dollars. Um, so when we moved in together is when we did our next big upgrade and we... Um, we got like a better isolation thing for when we moved into our apartment. Um, and then we, when we moved into our house is when we got our booth. We actually built a booth. It was so, so fun. Um, 
we had uh, we moved into this uh, lake house, and they're showing us the house. They're like, "Oh, um, down here, there's this tiny room. Um, I don't know. Like my my mother in law lived here, like in this tiny windowless room. It was like." I don't know, like six by six. It was really tiny. And we both looked at each other. We're like, it's a booth. It's perfect. It was in the basement. And they're like, yeah, like this, it's just the creepy room. We're like, we'll take it. We love it. This is, this is it. So that was our next booth. We um, filled that room with moving blankets. And uh, there's like a tiny half window in there that we stuffed a bunch of foam in there. And then we had all our gear go through the closet to the outside and that was pretty cool. And then we got um, a Gretchen booth after that, after we moved away from there. Wait, no, wait, we had another booth in between. I forgot. We, we actually, um, we, when we were in the little room, we decided to make it even better by building a booth within the tiny room. So we did that. And then we moved and we had to trash that. And we got a Gretchen booth after that. We're living parallel lives because when we moved into the house that we're in now, when we were looking at houses, we were trying to explain to the realtor, like, okay, so we also need a space for a voiceover booth. And she was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, you know, ideally it shouldn't be in the guest room because if we have guests, then we can't use it. And same thing with this house. We saw a listing and in the listing there was a picture of their home office. It used to be the master bedroom closet that the previous owners had walled off and made into its own little separate room. And they had said that that was their home office. And I think the guy did work in here because he had kind of built a desk. But it is also a windowless room, like in the middle of the house, kind of leading up to the finished attic. So if this was really your home office, it would be so depressing and miserable because there's no windows, there's no ventilation, there's nothing. And as soon as my husband and I saw it, we said, that's the booth. It's perfect. We'll take it. Same, same. We When we were looking for this this house, finally, um, we looked at so many. And then this house had a theater room in it that had no windows or anything. And it had a four by six cutout that I guess they had a couch or something that fit our four by six booth perfectly in it. That's awesome. So when you started, did you start kind of in animation and stay in animation or did you diversify into other genres and kind of where was your beginning path? I kind of just took whatever I could get. So that kind of um, that helped me get a pretty well-rounded career. So I was doing commercials. Um, I was doing some indie animation. Um, I was in New York City at the time. So um, I went in for some of the the dubbing stuff over there. A lot of overseas video games I worked on. Uh, and e-learning. E-learning's still a big, big, big part of my career right now. Ooh, that's interesting. So what kind of e-learning projects do you work on? I do a lot of, like, um, training videos. So, like, uh, I'm the friendly coworker. But I also put on my grown-up voice. And I do, <laughs> I do like accounting uh, tricks and uh, banking uh, employee information. So I do have a grown-up voice in there somewhere, um, but mostly it's that cheery, friendly coworker. How do you feel about that kind of work? I know it's so different than animation, which is obviously, you know, fun and character-driven and 
you know, does the e-learning stuff just sort of satisfy like a different side of your brain or is it just like a way to make money? It definitely satisfies the health insurance side of my brain because it's very easy to convert to a union job. It pays uh, very well, so it definitely pays the bills. Um, and I kind of I kind of consider that my day job and animation and dubbing and video games. I love that so much. It f- like fills my soul. Um, it doesn't always pay as much as e-learning. So I kind of consider that my my hobby that I, I make some money off of <laughs> when I do it. I love that. Um, so for those who don't know, what is the difference... Or what is dubbing, I guess? What's the difference between dubbing and animation? Okay, so um, you have animation uh, is like your prelay stuff. It means you get to go in and uh, kind of create this character. Sometimes you're on the line with uh, other actors and you're all reading together, which is a lot of fun. And you lay down the tracks and then they go and animate it to your voice, which is really cool. You have a lot of freedom to just do whatever you want with the character. Dubbing is, uh, it's basically you have animation that was made in a different country in a different language, and you go in and dub it over in English. So you still have to get that same personality and entertainment, but you're constricted to what uh, the previous actor did. You're limited to the mouth movements that were already dubbed. Um, So you're using the previous actor as reference, and you're putting your own spin on it, how it will fit in those lip flaps. Right. And is there a different way that you go about creating characters when it's, you know, an original animated piece versus something that's dubbing? Um, If it's an original animated piece, um, I'll usually, like, I have some base voices that I use, And then um, I'll take the description that I get of the character and uh, artwork, and I'll try to figure out what quirks or uh, what's going to change their personality a little bit from this bass voice that I have. So say it's like a teenage voice. Okay, uh, are they kind of angry at the world? Like what's, what's... what makes this character special? What makes them tick? Um, so it's a lot more like, uh, I guess it's more like character creation like I would do when I was drawing characters. Um, with dubbing, I'll usually uh, take a listen to um, to the actual character, like what, uh, what the performance was uh, previously, and uh, read the description. And I'll take those notes and then do it in my way. So it's still, uh, it still honors the original character that I didn't create, but it puts my spin on it. That's interesting. I feel like the, I feel like it's challenging when you've got something from somebody else, but it's in a different language. So you're trying to match it, but you're, you can't really understand what they're saying. So it's kind of hard to get the, you really have to kind of piece out the raw kind of visceral emotions of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I'll take, um, like if I have a lot of references or the director will send me uh, clips, I'll try to treat it almost like I would do for a sound-alike job and figure out what's what's the voice range, uh, what texture is on the voice, um, what's uh, like musically, how does this character speak, um, etc. So sometimes you'll do that and then I'll 
put a different take with my own totally different spin. So for those who don't know, what is a sound-alike? Sound-alikes are fun, too. Um, so a lot of movies, um, the, they'll try to bring in the original actor uh, to go and fix anything, like if there's if it's too loud of an environment, etc. They'll try to bring the uh, the original actor in to dub over their performance, but sometimes that actor might not be available, so they'll hire a sound alike uh, to go in and sound like <laughs> like that person and uh, and dub it for them. Do you do that for live action as well as uh, animation? Um. Not too much. I have uh, done a few things, um, but there are some actors that, like, they specialize in this person's voice, and they'll be the go-to person um, for anything that comes up that that actor's not available. I think I read somewhere that um, Tom Hanks' sound-alike is his brother. Yes, yes, I heard that, too. (laughs) Which I love. Like, how Mm -hmm. sweet and charming. Yeah, that's so cool. So for animated stuff, and I'm assuming for, um, you know, anything that you're dubbing as well, you do some boy voices. So talk to us about that. How do you kind of get into the the headspace of a boy? (laughs) I have a whole series of things that I do. Um, Boy voices were one of the first things that I learned. Um, Like uh, Tara Strong was such a huge inspiration for me when I was first starting my journey. So I kind of studied what she did a lot. so with boys, you had to think like a boy. Luckily, when I first started, I was raising my little boy. He was uh, he would have been like two when I was really getting into uh, uh, learning how to do this. So I was watching a lot of the shows he was watching. I was taking him as reference. And anytime he did something new, I would make note of it. Like, oh, he made a really gross sound. Let me learn how to make that sound. Boys are gross. If, you, if you're if you trying to do little boy voices, um, you just want to really think gross. And they'll just kind of keep on going with what they're saying. And um, you got to put a little bit of attitude on it. You don't want it to be too girly, I would say, like going up and down and everything. Boys are just kind of like, they got to kind of like an attitude and you just like that's just how you talk when you're a boy you know like that's a boy voice i like that i feel like those little kid voices are so much fun but they're so taxing because it takes like a full body physicality and energy you can't be a little kid with just standing like an adult yes you need like major support when i um a lot of my characters They'll be in different positions when I when I voice them. So my boy voice kind of like is kind of slouchy and <laughs> and like um, there's a lot of spit involved when, <laughs> when you're really getting into a boy voice. Then I have some characters that are all like like uh, oh I'm just better than you and I'm just gonna like my hands are like out <laughs> and some have like super attitudes. So you pose like. It's definitely a very physical sort of job. Do you warm up for your sessions? Oh, yeah. I didn't used to, but I realized how important it is after I had to go to speech therapy for like a year when I totally blew out my voice a few years back. Like, you need to support your voice when you're doing these crazy sounds. So I learned a lot about breath support. I started taking singing lessons, which are 
super, super helpful with voiceover. They help expand your range and you really, you open up new parts of your voice too that you can work with without being tired after your session, without draining your voice. I do creature sounds now and with proper placement, it doesn't hurt at all. It's it's just like another voice. Um, proper warm-ups, proper support, proper cool-downs. I live by that now. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about voiceover that it's it's just kind of easy. And I think even for a commercial session, if it's going to be a two-hour session, you know, you have to do something because even if you're not using the full range of your voice like you would in an animated character, sometimes that's even more tiring because you're just sort of sitting in that one spot. Yes, yes, yes. Warm up, take breaks, drink water. Yeah. Is there anything you kind of do to mentally and physically prepare when you know it's going to be a really long session? Well, I haven't had sessions go over four hours, so that's good. Um, I make sure to eat beforehand, but uh, not too close to the session. You want to avoid mouth noise. I make sure to have at least four bottles of water and ask for breaks, too. Like, don't be afraid. Like, you don't have to go the whole four hours. Like, you can rest here and there. Um, Don't be afraid to ask that. I think that's so important. I think a lot of... uh... A lot of us, especially if you've come from a theater background, it's just sort of is like, I got to go. I got to be this, you know, I can't make a mistake. I've just got to go. And it's important. It's important to ask for what you need and and to just say no one's going to be mad if you say like, hey, can I take five minutes to just, you know, take a little break? Most of the time people are like, of course, absolutely. Do you need 10? You're like, yes, that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. I I love that you had a a built-in inspiration for your boy voices when you were when you were crafting them. That's so that's amazing. Oh, yes, it was it was so cool. I'm so thankful that that timing just played out the way it did. Um and I had an excuse to watch cartoons again. <laughs> when you were just starting out, um when did you get an agent or did you have an agent kind of right off the bat? Uh when I was first starting out, let's see. Um, I met my husband a few months in, and right around then, he was actually starting a talent agency. So I kind of helped him grab talent and uh, put things together um, right when he was starting that. Uh, now that agency is a big national talent agency that reps, I don't even know, like a few hundred uh, people now. I would say it was a couple of years before I reached out to other agents. Um, I wanted to really make sure I was ready, that I had a list of things that I had gotten on my own that uh, I had booked and uh, that I could bring to them and see like, look, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, it was a few years in and then I just submitted to a bunch of different regional uh, agents and uh, a bunch overseas too. (laughs) You can get agents anywhere. That's true. And did you have a demo that you used or did you just kind of send clips of stuff that you had already done? I definitely had my demo set up by then. My first commercial demo, I actually had my husband put together, but I did hire out for my animation demo. That was some that was something my husband didn't feel comfortable putting together and I really wanted to get somebody that could really highlight what I do. So we did hire out for my animation demo, and then I've just been getting demos since then and replacing them as they get old. So don't do your demo yourself, though. (laughs) That was a mistake. I listened to my first demo. Now, oh, wait. Uh, Okay, I got got a story. So 
my very first demo, before I even met my husband, I was like, I got to put a demo together. Let me do this from my bad uh, (laughs) bed studio. And with my terrible New York accent that I didn't know that I had. So I have actually a commercial demo and a narration demo that have a super, super strong New York accent um, that I actually used (laughs) for a while as my first demos and nobody told me how bad they were so i'm telling you right now don't do your own demo because you're too close to it you don't know that it is bad get outside feedback not just friends and family because they'll say that it's amazing even if it's terrible send it out to people that will give you honest feedback and tell you you have a really strong new york accent get rid of it and do a different demo (laughs) a demo is an art for sure Mm-hmm. And the people that know how to make them really know how to make them. I had my commercial demo redone by Jordan Reynolds, and it's amazing. I like he's if you get a chance to work with him on your commercial demo, or I think he does a whole bunch of different genres. Um, he's so great. He writes the scripts for you and is amazing. Like he he stalked my Instagram to figure out my personality to put together spots and write them according to my Instagram posts. So he really finds out what clicks with you and will write a great demo for you. So speaking as someone who has, you know, kind of an in with an agent, what do you recommend to those people who are just starting out in terms of reaching out to agents or their kind of general do's and don'ts? Don't reach out until you're ready. We get so many people um, call us and email us and say, hey, I want to get into voiceover. Can you be my agent? That's not how it works. You have to have like get your own jobs first and show that you can book on your own uh, before you reach out to an agent. And don't follow up like weekly. Send send your stuff when you're ready. Um, and then you can follow up like six months later if you haven't heard anything. Um, but don't just keep on emailing. And you guys have very specific guidelines on your website, I'm assuming, about how to reach out. Yes, every agent has their own guidelines. So check their website. A lot of agents, it's helpful if uh, if you know somebody already on the roster that can recommend you. Uh, that definitely goes a long way. Follow the instructions. <laughs> if they say email only, don't call do what they say. Agents are very, very, very busy and they don't want to answer questions all day. So if someone were to not follow the rules for for you guys, you know, do you say, I'm not even going to listen to it? Or do you give it a listen and then kind of begrudgingly reach out to them and say, don't do that again, but your demo is good? Um, we, uh, We only listen to stuff usually once a year, maybe twice a year. We'll usually go through several hundred uh, demos at a time. Um, But as they're coming in, if we see the same name pop up over and over and over again, um, we know that they're not following the instructions. Um, We have a form now that they fill out. And if they don't fill out that form, we know that they're not really paying attention. They're not doing what they're supposed to. So we can't really trust them to follow instructions from the client when they're in session. Uh, So it's definitely a reflection on uh, what we feel they'll be doing in uh, during the actual paid job. I think that's really important. I mean, that first impression is everything. So if you're going to make it, you better follow the instructions and make it. 
I don't know if you can kind of put a finger on it, but what uh, if you're listening to hundreds at a time, what grabs you? What what says, let me listen to that more? And what is what automatically goes in the no pile? We're listening for stuff that we don't currently have. Um, If we have something that we're looking to fill, if we have a sound that we haven't heard before, um, that definitely stands out. And great performances, great great studio quality, um, that all definitely contributes to. Um, so when, when you're submitting to an agent, take a listen to their current roster and see if they have a lot of similar sound to what you provide. That might not be as good of a fit as somebody that doesn't have that sound. That makes sense. Um, Can you talk about what it's like to be a mom in the voiceover industry? Because when you started, you were not a mom, and then you became a mom as you kind of were growing your career. So what has that transition been like? Yeah, so it was interesting. When I first started, my son was two, um, and I was a single mom. Um, I lived with my mom, so that definitely uh, gave me some freedom. I'd be like, "Here, I'm, I'm, I'm young and youthful, and I want to go out to these uh, New York City voiceover mixers. Watch my kid for me." So that definitely, <laughs> that definitely helped. Um, if you're listening, mom, thank you so much. You helped me like build my career, and you're awesome, and I love you. Um, <laughs> um, and then I met my husband, and uh, we. Uh, we still used my mom a lot to babysit so we could go and network and everything. Um, now we kind of live away from everybody. Uh, everybody's in New York and we're in Texas. And uh, when my daughter was born, it was like, whoa, okay, I don't remember how to do any of this. Like, how am I supposed to, like, because I had a lot more clients when she was born compared to when my son was born. Um, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So baby wearing definitely helped a lot. Um, I could sneak in while she was sleeping and like do a couple auditions here and there. I made use of whatever naps that I could. Um, and just any time, any spare moment that I had, like time management definitely came into play a lot. But the year she was born, I actually had the best year of my entire career by saying no. I was saying no to a lot more projects um, and only taking the stuff that was really worth my time and um, really paid for me to get a babysitter or whatever I needed. And my booking ratio like went up because I was more picky with what I was doing. Now, uh, she's a little older. We have her in the booth sometimes. I did her first demo. Um, And it was a lot easier when she was going to school. Now with COVID, she is home. (laughs) Both of the kids are home. So it's a lot of juggling again. Um, Like, uh, hey, take five minutes. I got to go do this audition. I got to do this. So a lot of working at night and just trying to coordinate uh, because we're we're totally quarantined and we haven't used a babysitter or anything so it's just juggling back and forth Um, so it's a lot it's a lot but um, I use a lot of those time management skills that I learned when she was first born to kind of get through it yeah same it's it's been tricky because even though I have a great setup you know she is my daughter is three and a half and she is like a little elephant so if she's not sitting on the couch and she's walking, which usually involves running, then 
I can hear her and I have to text my husband like, get her, get her to sit because I have five more minutes. <laughs> we're, we're teaching her the quiet game. So I'll do a lot of um, my auditions like in the morning before her school starts. She does remote school um, like before everybody's really up. So I'm kind of watching her while I do auditions and be like, OK, take your video games. Make sure they're quiet, quiet. And uh, you can go in your room and play them while I do these. And then she'll come back all proud like, mommy, mommy, I was so quiet. Did you hear me so quiet? I'm like, yes, you were so good. Occasionally, I'll even let her in the booth, too, when I'm doing auditions and be like, let's see how quiet you can be. You make it into a game. And she's great. She can be like super, super quiet. And then she gets bored. And then she's like, "Okay, I'm going to go be loud now. So that's the end of auditions. (laughs) That's amazing. So I also wanted to ask you about what the voiceover scene is like in Texas. I I know there are some studios down there that specialize in dubbing. Is that right? Yes. I am in Austin. A lot of the dubbing studios are in Dallas. Um, There's a big video game community in Austin. So um, when we first moved here, I was, um, again, I was super pregnant. So um, I was kind of in hiding for the first two years we we lived here. Um, And then as she got older, I started reaching out to different places, be like, hey, I can go in studio now. Um, so I've spent a lot of time <laughs> driving back and forth to Dallas. But yeah, there's um, definitely some local stuff here in Austin. But it's a lot of it's kind of like how it was in New York, that most of the time I'm just working out of my booth, especially now that COVID is here. Um, I'm in my booth all the time, and I'm working with these studios in all different states, a lot of studios that I haven't worked with. That's kind of kind of cool that I don't have to drive everywhere for this stuff or fly, get on a plane to go wherever. Um, it'd be cool if stuff stays like that afterwards, <laughs> you know? I hope so, too, secretly. Well, I hope COVID goes away, but I hope the um, being open to home studios, because I know Los Angeles is always... Um, you had to be in Los Angeles to work in Los Angeles. Um, and now this past year, I've been working a lot with studios in Los Angeles, back in New York and all over the place. Uh, home studios rock. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like the dubbing community is pretty close knit? Like one job begets another, begets another, begets another? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say it's um, it's kind of hard to break into the dubbing scene. Um, but definitely word of mouth uh, is very helpful in the dubbing scene. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, what is kind of your favorite piece of advice to give to people who are just starting out? Take as many classes and workshops as you can. Uh, I usually recommend uh, to study uh, at least a year. Um, study with different voiceover coaches, study acting, study improv, study singing. Make yourself as well-rounded as possible before jumping into, uh, this is my career now. Um, Make sure you're actually ready. Don't go to a place that's like, uh, hey, after five lessons, then you'll get a demo and you'll be on your way. No, that's not how that's <laughs> that's not how it works. You want to really uh, make sure you really know what you're doing, um, know what the business is like. Um, there's uh, voiceover business classes. Um, I teach some classes uh, through Lone Star VO for Texas actors. Um, it's uh, you don't want to start 
too early because if somebody listens to your demo and it's not good, they're probably going to remember that more than a couple years later when you send them a good demo. Be like, didn't you have a really bad demo a while ago? So take the time, work your day job while you're studying, and then you can go into voiceover. Well, thank you, Lindsay. I really appreciate you being here. I feel like we got a lot of inside scoop into the animation world and to the agent side of things, which was really helpful. Well, thank you so much for having me. I loved finally getting a chance to meet and talk to Lindsay, and I was so surprised how similar parts of our voiceover journeys have been. I always enjoy talking to fellow voiceover parents, too, so it was fun to hear how she used her son as inspiration for her boy voice characters. And definitely make sure you take her advice about what to do and what not to do when submitting to agents. If you'd like to learn more about Lindsay, I'm linking her website and socials in the show notes, which you can find at my website, www.stephaniepamroberts.com podcast. And to stay updated about future episodes, please follow me on Instagram at stephaniepamrobertsvo. Also, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback or aha moments to share, or if you have any questions about voiceover that I can answer, or maybe an idea for an upcoming guest you'd like to hear from, please send an email to stephanie at stephaniepamroberts.com. Thank you so much for listening, and here's a little preview of next week's episode. You know, as an actor with an MFA, that in going into voiceover, especially the way it is now, that you really are going into business for yourself. That's next week on Making It to the Mic.